Hello again, my friends, and you are my friends, and welcome back to the show that got so big it needed extra time. That's right, Talking Town's Extra Time. I'm your host, the Governor. Welcome in. The live chat is already absolutely bouncing. And of course, you would be after the Ibiza tunes has pumped through your veins on a Monday night. If you uh, felt a little bit of fatigue after your first day back at work, no longer, my friends. You are now well and truly pumped and ready, and we've got a fantastic lineup for you this evening i can see nate king is already excited about usa usa absolutely ian davis welcome in evan to reappoint hearse in a move described as revenge when i clicked on that wasn't what i thought it was going to say emerson ferrer the buzzing for the next chapter in itfc history come on you blues tony man i'm waiting to find out the secret u.s investor is donald trump just see all the, the fake hair pieces in the stand next season absolutely well join us tonight is a guy that kicked it all off the uh, madness that has been since Friday. But first and foremost, we have our resident media mogul, the one, the only, the answer to all our prayers, Mr. Matthew <laughs> Phillips. How you doing, Matt? How are we doing? You all okay? Excited, excited. We've gone straight to the source. We're going to get all the information yeah. we can. It's been absolutely like, you know, um, someone's threw a grenade into the room. It's just, since Friday, it's just gone mad. Well, like we've been treading water, haven't we, for 20 years at Ipswich Town, not done anything since uh, we came out of the Premier League. What was it? One, one or two efforts at the Premier League, at the playoffs. And here we are, suddenly with all this, you know, the spotlight's on us again. It's like uh, when, when we was on the back pages of Roy King when he took over, it's got that kind of, that same sense of a new era happening at Bournemouth Road, you know. When we sat and we did a show after Northampton, nil-nil, boring game. One of the worst games I've ever seen in my history of football, let alone anything else. <laughs> yeah. If I said to you then, right, here's the roadmap, because that's, that's, that's a big saying at the moment, roadmaps. This is the roadmap. We're going to get a takeover, possibly, with the with US Consortium. The guy who's going to lead it is going to be a community-based guy who puts the club you know, in the heart of the community. Uh, Lambert's going to go and beat two top six sides, then get sacked. Uh, sorry, <laughs> mutual, mutual consented, sorry. Um, <laughs> you'd have thought I was yeah. on, the, on those green shoots. Yeah, exactly. And... Don't forget, it was less than two. It was that two weeks tomorrow. Was that Northampton game? So things have been moving quickly. But we always thought, we always thought. I mean, I always said on the podcast, I thought Lambert would be gone by Christmas. That didn't happen. But maybe these things that Matt's going to talk to us about this evening uh, might show the reason why he, they kept Lambert a little bit longer. Maybe. Okay, absolutely. So tell the guys and girls at home in the chat who's coming on next, and I will bring on our our first contributor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a guy I first worked with, God, going back probably 2007, 8, 9, something like that. Used to be at the BBC, now at uh, The Athletic, sports subscription service. It's uh, one of their main reporters. It's Matt Slater. Matt, welcome in. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> All right, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thanks. I've been getting flashbacks to when we used to do like little press activities on the touchline at Wembley for like yeah. FA Cup and thing, things That's of that right. nature. That's got to be a good 10 years back, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, when did you leave the FA? When, when did you? I went in 20... So I was there from 2007 to 2015. Oh, right. Okay. Well, it would have been... Two... Yeah, yeah. We'd have, we'd have worked together into the into the teens, I think. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't leave the BBC till 2016. Yeah, yeah. So about, yeah. about, about the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, on behalf of all the Ipswich fans, we really want to thank you for coming on. Um, you know, we haven't had much to shout about recently. You, you could well win Player of the Year right now with a wow. tweet that came well, out. Has it been like that? Well, one of the most stellar performances we've had 
relating to Ipswich. But let me timeline this up for everybody. Let me timeline this up for everybody. So okay. there were whispers of a, of a takeover probably a couple of weeks ago on social media. You take these things with a pinch of salt. Then our friends at Blue Monday did an interview with the brilliant Jim White from The Telegraph, who you obviously know, Matt. And he kind of alluded to uh, a takeover in their conversation. And then last Friday, while we were basking in the, the spring sunshine that was descending across the eastern counties, your tweet landed about 2.15, all change at Ipswich. Brett Johnson, 17.5 million takeover. Evans will wipe out 100 million pounds of debt. Paul Cook replaces Paul Lambert. Then the following day, town beat Doncaster 2-1. Suddenly got this rich vein of thorns come out of nobody, come out of nowhere. And in Sunday last night, 9pm, Lambert leaves Ipswich by mutual consent. And then Monday, Lee O'Neill, who's our director of football mm -hmm, operations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, uh, he says, Evans is not actively looking to sell the club. There isn't an offer on the table, which is what we were kind of expecting from him because he mm -hmm. plays more of a straight back than Joe Root. Mm -hmm. So... So, so there we are. So, what we really want to know is how long have you been sitting on this story while we've been sort of, you know, lamenting this Lambert regime? How long have you been sitting on this? Not that long, to be honest. So that's that's interesting your your timeline because I I didn't I didn't know about the the Jim White interview. Um, honestly, <laughs> um, um, so how would I explain this? Um, I, I heard. So this is kind of my job. I've sort of become the takeover guy at the athletic um i'm not, I'm not quite sure why I, I i quite like the sort of the business of sport yeah, i, I used to be a financial journalist so yeah. i've always been quite interested in that um a lot of football journalists aren't so there's an opportunity there and yeah. the athletic gives me loads of space to sort of talk about politics and governance and money and yeah. and all that right so i i have i spend a lot of time talking to Brokers, agents, lawyers, bankers, people that mm. the, the football industry is growing, right? And it's growing all the time. It's very global now. Um, and it's, a, it's a, funny enough, it's kind of a, whilst it's growing, it's still a small world. It's still sort of driven by rumor and gossip in the same way that everything yeah. else is, same way that the transfers are. So, but now we're talking about trading clubs. So that's sort of what I do. And um, I heard probably about two weeks ago that. Um, I'm I'll cut to the chase. That the Mark Ashton, who is the Bristol City chief executive, was fronting a US group. Did I even know US at that point? No, that came a bit later. Was fronting a takeover of Ipswich Town. And to be honest with you, I had been looking because I'd heard some other stuff about Bristol City. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Why is the chief executive? of Bristol City, a, a good championship club, um, who have just spent a lot of money on their ground, just about to open a new training ground. This was mm -hmm. before they'd appointed Pearson. It was around the time they appointed Pearson. Or maybe, I can't remember. It was around that time. Um, yeah. But a club that, that, have, that have been in the mix, they have a very wealthy owner. Um, I was thinking, right, that's a bit odd. And also Ashton is on the EFL board. He is the one of the championship's three club representatives on the board. And I just thought, well, this is weird. And as I said, I was interested in Bristol City because I just think they're quite an interesting story. They've got this link with the rugby club. Well, not a link. They are part of the same group and the basketball mm -hmm. team. And, and, and Stephen Lansdowne, their owner, is this ludicrously wealthy man. And I thought, well, this is interesting. What's happening here? Is he is Lansdowne leaving? Is, is this Ashton jumping ship? I'm going to have a look at Bristol. And, and sort of nothing. I didn't really get anywhere with that. But then I heard the rumour again, and I thought, right, okay, 
Ipswich. All right. And I heard it because I heard it from a different source. And I think maybe that time I heard the American bit. And I thought, right, well, there's something going on here. Maybe maybe Ashton isn't really the interesting bit of it. Maybe he's part of the story. Um, and that sort of went on for like sort of four or five days. I did actually start to see then that some Ipswich Town fans had heard it as well. And, mm. and Ashton was around. But then on the Monday before I published the story, I, but by this point, I'd, I'd heard the same rumour at least three times from different people. Um, and I'd started to hear more about this American group. So I didn't know who it was. And I was now I was now pretty much trying everybody I knew who who yeah. might be putting together an American group, advising an American group, because, you know, buying and selling clubs is still relatively rare. It doesn't happen that often. We've only had three or four in the last year. Um, and they tend to be long and protracted. You know, Wigan hasn't been sold yet. It took ages to get Sunderland over the line. It, you know, it can go on and on. Um, I just thought, well, people people do find out right, eventually. And then, to cut a long story short, it's already a long story. Basically, somebody else. This is where we're going to get to the Leo Neal bit, which I did see today, and and I, I thought I'd save my my bit till for you guys. Um, um, not only is there one offer on the table, there's more than one <laughs> offer on the table. And Leo Neal he, either is out of the loop and just, just doesn't know what's going on, or he's fibbing. And I don't mind either, to be honest. And they're both, they're both plausible and credible in that Mark Evans is selling this. It's not, it's, it's, he doesn't have to tell his staff if he doesn't want to. Um, and everyone signed NDAs in these things. And Leo Neal isn't, isn't, isn't part of the conversation. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. he's fobbing off the local paper. Either, either's fine. But to say there's no offer on the table is, is I'm sorry, it's nonsense. There, there, there is, I'm, I know of too. Because how I find out about the Americans is by the other party. The lot that have been talking to Evans as well for months. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and didn't get it or change their mind. They were yeah. the ones that filled me in a lot of the gaps. And then I was able to then, once I had the name, reach out to American colleagues and, and, yeah, and, and American contacts to go, all right, who are this lot? So that was it. Yeah. That was, that was it in a nutshell. So it's fortuitous partners, isn't it? It's being led by Brett Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a, is it Berkey, the hedge fund, Berkey Capital? The sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. I think. There's yeah. a few interesting what names in there. Well, so this is quite typical of US sport and really typical of US soccer from, from, from what I can tell. So these quite large ownership groups. So I suppose you know, Fenway Sports Group is a really good example. You know, yeah. it's, it, there are about a dozen, 15 investors in there and they're all on their own, quite interesting guys, successful guys. Um, the, the ownership group at, at, at Phoenix Rising is, is similar, you know, maybe a division down, but um, you know, in that there's a there's a mixture of property investors, hedge fund guys, um, a lot of West Coast money, a lot of you know LA LA people, um, mixtures mixed with with people from wealthy people from Arizona, and Phoenix is one of the largest cities. It's a big metropolitan area. I think it's about four million people. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, a, a good soccer scene, a good sports town. The problem it has uh, is, is weather. It's hot. It's too hot to play football. Um, so um, that's one of the reasons why they've struggled to get into the MLS. Um, you, you have to buy your way into the MLS. It's, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, there's no promotion and relegation. So anyway, they, um, four or five years ago, uh, Brett Johnson, who, as I said, 
you know has has a has a property fund has a has an investment fund one's called benevolent i think one's called fortuitous but anyway um and he has various partners they bought a usl team a second division um us team called arizona united um pretty quickly he brought some more partners in they rebranded in 2016 into phoenix rising and he's done by all accounts a really good job there he's turned them into a very successful um usl team and probably the best they actually they haven't you know they have like a regular season then they have a final season playoff it hasn't worked out for them in the playoffs but they but i think two years ago they were the best team in the regular season and he's also you know two, two i think two really interesting things he's built a stadium so that's one of the things that they're always obsessed about doing in, in the states to build a soccer yeah. specific stadium so they're not playing in the <laughs> exactly and it helps yeah. you get in the mls so he's so he has you know in terms of things i'm interested in does this guy deliver? Well, he, he, they're not an MLS team yet. They're in the queue. He's got them into a stadium, 10,000. I hear it's good. Um, he's made them successful. And he's, he's brought some big names in. So the, the, I guess the, the two that are most interesting to us would be Sean Wright Phillips and Didier Drogba. Didier Drogba finished his career with them. You know, he, he retired at sort of 40 um, um, after playing a season, I think a season and a half, it's only a season with Phoenix Rising. Um, and actually they gave him some shares as well. So he is, he's, a, he's a minority shareholder in Phoenix Rising. And the, the ownership groups, not only is it big, it's quite interesting. There's um, Diplo, who I had to look up, is a, is a big DJ apparently, and a music producer and songwriter. And the bass player from Fallout Boy, Pete Wentz, is is in this group. So, you know, this is this again is a bit very sort of about yeah, you know, kind of a story about American soccer. But it's cool, right? You find you find strange yeah. people in these ownership groups because yeah. it's that kind of where entertainment and fashion and celebrity meets. Um, so that's that's not that unusual. So that's that's who they are. Um, to be fair to Brett Johnson, he is also involved in another USL team, a, a team that hasn't launched yet. And I think this is very much a sort of kind of probably his day job a little bit as well, because it's very much a property play. It's in Rhode Island, so different part of the country, different weather, a place called Portucket. But it's a really, really big property development with a sort of soccer team. And he's involved in that as well. Now, um, so that's his background. You know, he's a, he looks like an interesting sort of guy. Oh, he's also um, he's a director of the Danish team Helsingor which has other Americans in there as well. I think they're about, I did look at their results the other day, I think they're third or fourth in the Danish league. Yeah, they're doing all right. Um, and in that ownership group, there's a guy called Jordan Gardner, who's an investor in Dundalk and Swansea. So look, this is, this is the way things are going. You get these kind of minority investors and they learn a little bit here and then they have a go over there. And So, um, Brett Johnson's interesting guy. I think he's um, learn. He's, he's. I don't think he's a complete football expert. I think he's. I think he knows quite a lot about running a stadium, running yeah. a sport franchise. I think mm. he has a track record of then hiring good people, which I think is what you kind of want. You know, if he doesn't know himself, then he's going to hire good people. The Phoenix Rising, by all accounts, have been well run. Um, he's a co-chair there. He's not, you know, he's not, he's not like a dictator or anything. And in this group that I think I strongly believe are going to buy Ipswich Town, um, two of his other main investors are involved. 
Um, one you've mentioned, Berke Bakke, who I think is more of a football fan. I think he's of Turkish descent. And um, um, got a test fan, I believe, Matt. Yeah, yeah I think exactly. he's got a test fan. Hence the reason why they got drug Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So I think he's he he's, he sounds like the football enthusiast. If you like. there's another guy called Mark Detner who I don't know much about. Um, yeah. He's another. I think he runs a big a big fund a big fund in LA. I think. So, mm. um, but these are all these are all wealthy, successful guys. That are they all multimillionaires in their own right? I don't know. I suspect not. I suspect they're all wealthy guys, but they are not. They're not Marcus Evans, right? No. But they don't need to be. This is because they're an ownership group. So, you know, don't panic. Um, and as well, I think we've worked out a bit more, even, you know, at the time I was writing it, and obviously then you have to put it to both parties. And I was a bit worried about the whole Mark Ashton thing because I initially thought Ashton really was going to come. And I had to put that to Bristol City, and there was a bit of pushback about that. Yeah. And I was I'd obviously embarrassed Ashton a bit because I don't know how forthcoming he'd been with them. Um, so in the Issa group, they, they set up a company, which I'm, I'm sure Ipswich Town fans have already found on Company's House, called Game Changer 20 Limited. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's those guys are there. Um, an interesting guy called Mike O'Leary, and this is where I think we get the Ashton link and where we get... This is what I was going to say to you, yeah, Mike O'Leary, yeah, Oxford. Oxford, and previously for him, for West Brom. So, um, and he's a sort of serial entrepreneur, as far as I can tell. Loads of of directorships and, you know, fine. Yeah, nothing nothing untoward there at all whatsoever. He, um, I I, I now understand that he is more important, way more important to Ipswich Town than Ashton. He he has kind of put this together. He's been the guy on the ground. And And I've seen this a number of times now where overseas investors... They they're looking for something, right? They have a they have a they have a budget, and they have a kind of where they'd like to be. And can you? Here's my narrative. Here's here's I want to do player trading. I'm interested in data and analytics. I want this kind of fan base. And then guys here in the UK or wherever, whatever country they're looking at, sort of do the rest. And um, I think Mike O'Leary is that guy. You know, a guy that knows the football industry pretty well. Um, so. I'm told he's going to be very involved. Okay. Ashton, Why? Ashton, le- less so. I think Ashton, Ashton uh, has got a pretty good gig, and I think um, is perhaps slightly embarrassed. I think by given his current, yeah, given his current role, he's got a, he's got a good job, and look, Pearson's, yeah. you know, they've, they've improved as well. So, you know. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why why do you why Ipswich? Do you think, Matt? Why, like I say, like we were chatting about earlier, you know, we've spent twenty years treading water. We've got to the playoffs twice in that time. Um, you know, Marcus Evans has had kind of deep pockets and short arms, not really invested as much as we wanted to. What why Ipswich when there's obviously lots of other clubs that they could be interested in? Uh, that's a good question, and this is the sort of thing that I spend a lot of time talking, writing, thinking about. Um, I mean, I could say why not Ipswich, right? So you let's just say you, you know, you are the kind of investor that I've just explained. Someone who doesn't quite have the money to buy an MLS franchise. So the la- the most recent MLS franchise, I think, was Charlotte. Not a big market. And I think it went for $350 million. That's what it costs now to buy into the MLS. The MLS is a loss-making league. No team in the MLS is making money. Right, so they're all banking on this ludicrous long-term play 
that the World Cup in 2026 is going to change the story for soccer in the States. It might do. It might do. Um, it might not. But all American sports franchises cost that. There's been this ludicrous inflation going on for 20 years. So to buy into ML, Major League Baseball or NFL, you know, you're talking billions. So they're not that rich. So they, so, so they, so the, so they have a budget, which kind of probably means that certainly the big six in the Premier League, probably the top half of the Premier League, is out of their budget. So then you're thinking, okay, well, do I buy? Do I spend 100, 250 million, 200 million on a Burnley, a West Brom, a Southampton, um, a Watford? What what do all these clubs have in common? All right. I said what they have in common. They're yo-yo clubs, and they're worth 150 to 200 million when they're in the Premier League, and then they're worth 50 million when they're in the Championship, and they're always about two or three seasons away from getting relegated, even when they're looking good. And we've got—I could tell you ten of these stories: Swansea, Sunderland. But you look absolutely established and safe until you're not. And if before, if before long, you can be in League One or League Two, as I'm sorry, as you guys have experienced. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's yeah. a hell of a lot of jeopardy of buying a middle to lower tier Premier League team. And there's a massive difference in the price. So then, OK, all right, fine. Don't do that. Don't be stupid. Buy a championship club. All right. So then, you, then you're looking at 40, 50, depending on the club, depending on the amount of debt, the fan base and what have you. What's the championship? The championship is financial insanity. These clubs lose 10, 15, 20 million a year. And they, it's not a fair fight for a lot of them because they're going up against seven or eight teams that are on parachute payments. They're going up against mm. guys like Lansdowne and and the guy, the guys at Stoke who run three, uh, the company who, who are healthier than Premier League owners. So a lot of foreign investors look at the championship and go, mm, I'm not sure about that. So then it's sort of League One. Well, look at some of the clubs in League One we've got, and look at and look at who's just been, you know, Sunderland. Sunderland was the last deal before you guys. Hull yeah. are for sale at pretty much the same price tag as you guys. And Hull and Ipswich, I understand that a lot of the people that have looked at Hull have looked at Ipswich and vice versa, because it's pretty mm. much the same story. It is a club that, in memory, has been in the Premier League, has a fan base of. 20,000, 20, I know your fan base is bigger, but they will come, come regularly. Maybe it's yeah. 25, 30 when you're in the Premier League, but rarely dips below a level. Um, it's, it's at the end of a long road. You've got a little, you've got quite a good catchment area, uh, but you don't own your ground. Now, yeah. there's a lot of similarities between you two. Yeah, yeah. Now, they've been there more, regular, more, more recently than you, but I would say that you are, to people of my age, yeah, you, you you feel like a bigger club than Hull City. Yeah, right. The history that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so there's a lot of you, you tick a lot of boxes. You know, you you have a good catchment area. You've got a loyal fan base. You're in the southeast, which helps. I know you're at the end of the end A12, which does, but you're still in the southeast, and there is a cachet yeah. to foreign investors in particular about the southeast because they're obsessed with how close you are to London and transport links. Um, You've got a good story to tell, the 80s and late 70s and Sir Bobby and all that. Um, and I think in the this is one question I'd like to ask you guys, because I think the price is a bit high. And I, and, and I, I wrote 17 and a half. Um, I've since heard, I've since learned 
but it's a bit more than that. I know there's been a number knocking around about 30. It's not 30. It's between 17. It's been, between, it's been about 18 and 30. And there's some wiggle room still to be decided, I think, in terms of one that I think Evans is going to hold on to 5%. He's holding on yeah. to some of the property around the training grounds. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a few bits still to be sorted out that will obviously affect the price. Um, but that's a lot of money to buy, to spend on a business that has been losing seven or eight million, nine million pounds a year. Yeah. That is, that's not what happens in business where you value companies and shops and stuff. You, you know, you do a sort of, you, you know, you look at the ins and outs and go, okay, well, I'm buying a loss making business. I'll give you a pound. I, I'm going to take this off your hands. I'm going to do you a favor. Yeah. You should yeah. thank me. But football doesn't really work like that. Football valuations don't work like that, you know, because you're buying goodwill and you're buying, you're buying the loyalty of you lot and you're buying the potential that you've been in the Premier League and in the Premier League, we can, we can make some money, but you know, that's where you're buying, you know, is, is Ipswich a credible, credible Premier League club? And I'd like to, you know, if, if, if Norwich are, you are right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's a hell of a long journey to get there. So this is where I have some issues about the price and about their plan, which I think we're going to have to learn a lot more about. I don't know all their plan. I hmm. imagine, because this is what every single American investor in particular, but overseas investors, but every single American investor tends to say two things. I can do better than the last lot commercially. I think British people don't really know how to run sports franchises. I can market it better. So, even, so we even had that at Burnley. I'm going to turn Burnley into, what was it, the world's favourite underdog. Right, good luck, yeah. right? Burnley is only important to people in Burnley, so by all means, you know, try, try and try and try and try and flog Burnley. Go for it. I reckon you'll. I reckon if you do really, really well, you'll take their commercial income from sixteen million to sixteen and a half, and you'll probably have you'll probably lose that in the ways that you've paid an amazing marketing guy to come up with ideas. But anyway, good luck. The other thing that loads of American investors are convinced of, and I think there might be some more evidence here. It's, it's not entirely tested yet, and there are there have been a lot of failures. Data and analytics, they are convinced that you can make money on player trading. And this is the difference they have with American sport. They, are, they don't really do that because you have the draft and you trade and all that sort of stuff, and you have free agency and you have everything's transparent. So the transfer system really interests Americans. And they're just starting to get into it in MLS now. So one club in particular, it's called FC Dallas, have invested loads and loads and loads in their academy over the last four or five years. Once upon a time, they used to take kids from college. They realized that they were getting the kids too late. That by 2021, they've got bad habits. They're no good. You need them at 16, 17, as we know here in Europe, 15, 14. And don't go to college. Come to our academy. Fast track to the, to the, to the first team and or we'll sell you. This, I think, is... is is where I suspect their focus will go initially. They will, um, I think, spend a lot of time, money, thought on improving your recruitment, player development, all that kind of thing. And and it ends, the, the guys at Burnley have said the same thing. The guys at almost every single club bought by an American tends to say this. And some bits to do with their interest. You know, they are data analytical guys. That's what they do for a living. 
American sport lends itself well to data and analytics. You know, they're, yeah. they're competing on level Absolutely. playing fields and it's all about, well, I'm just going to recruit better than you. I'm, I'm better at spotting talent than you. Um, and then, look, I'm not saying the Americans are the only ones that have the secret here because Brentford are a really good example. Matthew Benham, you know, is a, is a master at this. You know, Brighton have done a good job. Lots of other lots of other clubs are doing it. It's just, well, from the outside in, but have, have Ipswich been doing it? I, I remember you used to have a really good academy and I, I, I seem to remember loads of people coming through Ipswich, what, into the noughties? I, yeah. I, I must admit, unless, unless there's one I've, I've missed, has, has there been a big one in the last 10 years? Kieran, Kieran Dyer, was he the last one? I don't know. Mm, probably con- probably Connor Wickham, wasn't it? All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, well that, Yeah, Wickham. We found we found Tyrone Mings in at Chippenham Town. Oh, okay. gave him ten grand. He came into our system. And we sold him on there, but you know he wasn't right from our right. academy. But yeah, they've been few and far between, Matt. Basically, yeah. Well, that that's something. There's an obvious win, right? And yeah. obviously, they will be thinking in terms of the Premier League. Of course, I mean, why, why be involved in sport if you're not if you're not if you're not thinking in, in those terms? Um, but they will know that to get to the Premier League is going to cost them. Well, I mean, look. You said that Marcus Evans had short arms, right? But he's lost 100 million quid. Yes. No, I, I, no, I know no one. I, no one's going to feel sorry for him. He's got a white roller, and I, you know, I understand he's, he can be a bit difficult. But I, I've never met the guy. I don't think anyone who has. I don't know. But um, I've, I've met him. Oh, right. very briefly. Okay. All right. Yeah, at Watford. Sat behind him okay. at Vicarage Road. Yeah. Well, um, he has. He has. Lost 100 million pounds. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's not a lot of weight. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to be missed or, or mourned, but that's a hell of a lot of money. You know, he he, he has tried. I know yeah. he hasn't tried so much do recently, but do you think he's sped up, Matt? Do you think he's sped up? That's why he wants to get rid of. He's been speaking six months plus to investors. I think it's I think it's at least six months. It's at least six months. Yeah. I mean, these things take a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't. It's really hard to say. I think everyone has a has a limit. So a really good example, another story that I've been working on a lot over the last few months is Derby County and Mel Morris. And yeah. there, there are similarities. I don't, as I say, I don't know too much about um, Marcus Evans, so I should probably not speak out of turn. But Mel Morris is a really classic case of this. He he is your sort of Jack Walker, Dave Whelan type. Uh, he's made a lot of money. He's still a very wealthy guy. People might know him because of the Candy Crush game. He, he invested in the company that yeah. made Candy Crush. He's a local boy. He's from Derby. The thing he wanted to do with his money was to get Derby back to the Premier League. He's a hundred million pound down as well, and he's still yeah. digging. Right? He's struggling. Mm. He's trying to sell it now because you know it hits them all eventually. What am I doing? And he's also making him unwell. I don't. I don't think Marcus has that situation. But but you know, Mel Morris, Mel Morris is you know he's, it's it's affecting his health. Yeah. So they all hit. They all come to a point. And if it's not them, it'll be people near them, family, wives, friends, doctors saying, what are you doing? Yeah. So that, that and and things like, look, I'm not close enough to the situation. I So I, I don't know how bad things have got for Evans. Does, does Evans go to games? Does he get, does he get, yeah. does he get crap for games? Yeah. I don't know. He, he, generally, he generally sits in the box of Leo, Leo Neal. They kind of come. Right. Okay. I kind of think right. of them as Waldorf and Statlow. Remember them from the Muppets? <laughs> Just like looking down. So he can upon still things. go. So it's not got so bad yeah. that he can't go. Yeah. Because it can get that bad at other places where, where and, that, and that's when you've got to walk away. If you if you can't even go to the thing that you own and the thing that you're basically <laughs> yeah. bankrolling, then what is the point? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But I think kind of get the relegation, I can sort of see that that would seem to be like a natural point to admit that it's not working and going. But then you start to chase it a bit. You start to think, well, I don't want to sell now because I'll be selling at a discount. I need to get them back into the championship, then sell. But then, you know, it's just good money after bad. So, you know, it's, look, as I said, the Hull City, they've been for sale ever since they had that massive falling out over their name change. Remember, he wanted to call the them. Whole, I worked on that. Well, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, FA yeah. said no. Rightly so. He so, he, so, he, so he fell out with everybody about that. And there was a, something yeah. to do with the season tickets as well. So he managed to, you know, again, local guy. He's from Egypt, but mate came to Hull, made his fortune yeah. in Hull, big employer in Hull, has done loads for the university and, and, and the hospitals. You know, a wonderful story. And then he falls out over football. And he yeah. won't sell because he's convinced that he must get his money back. And he's on the old man's <laughs> unwell, and his son is like, "Well, can we just sell? Can we just you know, get out of this?" But you yeah, get assessed, you get you, you get you're in a, you're in a hole, and you're like, "Well, I'm, I'm not selling now because I, I'm, I'll be making a loss." Yes, you, you, the you, loss you, is going to be bigger next it. year. Yeah, and admitting to defeat to your objectives, which which has happened to Evans because, like, I feel like Matt, his game plan was quite good when he came in because he obviously felt if I get Keane in and Keane gets us to the Premier League, then you can leverage into that old Man United audience that sits in, you know, Asia. It sits in Malaysia and Thailand and all that. We'll do the pre-season tour over there, the Asia Cup and all that kind of thing. It kind of made sense. But unfortunately, we didn't we didn't hit the objective that he wanted was to get promoted and it all fell apart. So I feel like he's yeah. probably been... He kind of lost his game plan there a little bit, I think, quite early on in the game. Look, he made a, a big high-profile signing. That was his guy. Push the boat out to get. I, I, I don't know because I wasn't following your club closely enough. D- did, did he give Keane money to spend as well? Yeah, he did. And yeah. did Keane yeah. blow it? <laughs> I mean, what, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> Lee Martin. He brought in like oh. a yeah, he brought in like Carlos Edwards, he brought in Grant Ledbetter and a few others. So he did spend a lot of money, and it's quite interesting. And he gave a little bit of money to Jewel, who followed, and then he yeah. kind of when McCarthy came in, it was kind of like tightening the string. You know the purse strings, which is unfortunate because yeah. I feel like McCarthy had given, been given some money. Look what he's doing well, at Cardiff right now. I know. Could have taken he's an underrated manager, Mick McCarthy. I, I know so, he's, not, he's not sexy football, but do you see Marcus trying to keep hold of this five percent and the property around uh, Bent Lane as his way of almost passing the steering wheel over and saying, "Look, I, I, I've tried my best. If you yeah. can make it a bigger success than I can, at least I still profit and get these losses yeah. back." So I think this we're going to see a lot of this. Um, and that there are two really good examples. They are the two most recent clubs to be sold, right? So at Burnley, which was run by five or six local guys, I think six local guys who didn't put a penny in or take a penny out. They did an unbelievable job. Burnley were like my story for whenever I wanted to praise a Premier League club for being sustainable. I used to go Burnley. Look at them. Yeah. Right. And they still are sustainable. It's fine. But the, the directors, the local directors on the way out cashed in. Okay, we'll take our we'll take our on the way out, but the two main ones have retained minority shareholdings in the club, and they were, in fact they didn't. Those five or six main directors didn't even own all the shares anyway. There was a there's a sort of group of old fashioned shareholders, you know, that would have a share certificate on your toilet wall type thing. It was regular <laughs> fans who who all bought a thousand pounds worth of shares when Burnley almost went bust. Um, so those guys are still there. The, the American guys own, I can't remember, 84, eight, I think it might be 84%. But uh, Mike Garlick and the other guy who I can't remember now have, have held small shareholdings, right? So that 
they've got they've still got some skin in the game, as they say in in in, in financial circles, and um, one that kind of keeps them around the table, but does give them that little upside. So, what happens if Burnley really kick on, right, and they and get sold for four hundred million in ten years' time because the TV rights have gone insane and Burnley are now an established member of the Premier League? Well, there's another payday there, right? Now, Sunderland's the other example, and I think that, again there are similarities between your situation and their situation in that you are both you're both uh, slumming it aren't you you, you know you're, you're you're at least the division too low right yeah yeah now, the difference yeah. the difference the, the, I, I i mentioned sunderland in, in my story and i and i am intrigued by why sunderland or not sunderland and, and why you because sunderland own their ground they're a cat one academy now unfortunately they've They've denuded the academy. They've, there's nothing in it. They've sold everybody, but it's still a Cat One Academy, and it's a decent patch. But there's a lot of issues and problems and things hidden in the weeds at Sunderland. So then that would scare people off. And the key thing is that the three shareholders haven't gone. The three, the three before. So Charlie Meth and Stuart Donald and and Wansa, yeah. sorry, the stars of the Netflix documentary are still there. <laughs> yeah. And why are they there? Why are they there? Because just because if this new guy, the, the Kirill Louis Dreyfus, with all the money, gets them back to the Premier League, ka-ching. Yeah, so absolutely. That, so if you can hold on, you don't need to be in charge anymore. You don't want to be on the hook anymore. Yeah. If you can hold some shares, well, then 5% of a big number is not bad. Yeah. Where, I mean, of course, that Dreyfus family are kind of synonymous with Marseille, aren't they? I think that's where his father was. Uh, he's got he's got five percent there. Yeah, yeah. He's a minority shareholder. His family's a minority shareholder in Marseille, but he's bought. Yeah. We're not quite sure. They're being a bit cagey with the numbers, but he's bought a good old chunk of Sunderland, about sixty percent, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's see if we can get down to the end of the road here a little bit, Matt. When would you expect this? The, the Fortuitous Partners, Brett Johnson. When do you expect it all to come together and and the sale to go through? What, what would you predict? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to tie myself to a prediction. I mean, I I did hear when I wrote the story that it was very soon, and yeah. um, and people were a little bit. Oh no, you found out. It's got out because they were really pleased that for six months no one had talked. That yeah. All parties had signed NDAs. The Americans, I, I think, are a little bit anxious that that people are blabbing now. I think because the best takeovers are the ones you get a press release about and say it's just yeah. happened. All right, it's happened. Yeah. But, yeah, those those are, those are those are the perfect takeovers. Derby, yeah. well, we, we've had three or four failed time. We've had time wasters. Wigan, they've been they've been to the EFL with, with different groups to do the ODT test, the owners and directors test. Too much talking. The, the, the serious ones don't talk. So, I think it's really really close. Um, I don't know how close. I get the impression that the Americans want to get on with it. They are yeah. that they're raring to go. Um, that they they want to get started. So certainly, the guys that you know from the Guardian, Paul Doyle and Nick Ames, were saying that they thought it might be more like maybe days more than, than maybe yeah. weeks. But yeah, I did, I did, anyway, I did hear that. I did it, but I don't want to sort of say. I don't want to, you know, nail my curse to the mast. I, I've heard, I've heard days as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the second party definitely out, or is there any way that, that they could, if, if they are due, to know they are? Um. I know who they I know who some of their advisors are. I don't know who they are. Um, it, could well, it could well be more, um, but uh, I think they are out. They pulled out a few weeks ago when they realised that 
the Americans were just were in. Mm, okay. and, and where do you say, I mean, look, you've been great for us, Matt. The people are loving your, your you in the, the comments here. We really appreciate it. I don't want to keep you all night because I know you're a busy guy. But I mean, let's just think we've, we've got Paul Cook waiting in the wings, we're told, which is one yeah. of the things you alluded yeah, yeah. to your story. Mm. Now, mm. this is quite interesting timing for me because normally with a takeover, you'd keep the you'd keep the, 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 the current manager and then he would go when the new guys come in. But we've got a position here where Lambert's gone and Cook's in the wings. I mean, do you think this yeah. is the Americans and Evans coming together to, to put this new manager here? It it might be, but I don't I don't know that. I couldn't I couldn't hand on heart tell you that. Um you're right, it could go either way. You do you do often hear this thing where the new lot come in and they're almost working in concert with the new owner and just because they're dotting eyes and there are various there are various things you've got to do. Um you know you can be in almost an effective control and you could be starting to make decisions. Um and there, there's there are definitely some, there've been some examples of that. I don't know that that is this. I get the impression that Lambert and Evans was a row waiting to happen. Um, yeah. I'm sure you've heard the rumours that mm. it all kicked off. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and and things were said that can't be unsaid, and uh, and all that. Um, so you know. There, there was an argument to say that you could have kept him, kept him in place, just just keep a lid on things, let the new lot take over, appoint their guy when they want to appoint them. But then if the relationship has got so bad at the top that someone's kind of got to go, then yeah. why wait? Particularly mm. if the new lot are like, yeah, we quite like the sound of him. Yeah, we're not going to fire the guy that you just hire now. I think, you know, do you go caretaker? And I think the other thing is, and again, this you and your fans would know this more than I do because uh, I'm not following your results on a weekly basis. Um, you could go up this season. Yep. Right? Yeah. So if there's a really good manager out there, and Paul Cook is a really good manager, I have seen bits of his work. I sort of followed Wigan towards the end of last season. Um because of the you know the story around Wigan, you know, the points they got relegated yeah. with a positive goal difference, and he, yeah. he, he they were a really good team. They're a really exciting mm. team, um, and he he also became a great spokesperson for the club because he was about the only one that could talk during that whole process. So he's a good guy, um, as yeah. far as I could tell. Um, if he's out there and everyone agrees that he's a good manager, well, just get him in, right? Because you could go up with you. Exactly. I think, I, you know, he's from Liverpool. I, I see kind of like a, an echo of Joe Roy a little bit. He's kind of a jovial character. I think he likes a little bit of a laugh. Yeah. With Lambert, we've seen quite a dour figure in these last few months. So I feel like Ipswich fans would probably want to pull Cook and he'll play a good brand of football, hopefully. And I think, it'll, you know, it'll, those glimmers of sunlight will be over Portman Road again, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think so. Look, and he's got an amazing uh, track record of promotions. I, I sort of, I knew that he, I knew that he had a few, and I, I didn't realise that he'd taken three up as champions. Yeah, um, Chesterfield being the other one. Yeah. yeah, and you know, so so he's he's won this league two years ago, wasn't it? Twenty nineteen. Mm. So brilliant. Yeah, with I mean, Wigan. Could, yeah, yeah could, could there be yeah. a better candidate for the type yeah, of person you that. need right now? Someone who can, yeah. someone who has won your league. Yeah, yeah. Some, Something you you mentioned earlier was about um, why would you buy Ipswich? Uh, and then you said about the Americans and they've got two trains of thought. And one of them was the commercialization of a club. With your expertise yeah. and your knowledge, yeah. what does that mean 
for Ipswich <laughs> okay. because you've got you've got Portman Road, but you don't own it. Like what 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 do yeah. you, what do you yeah. think the Americans coming in that would hold and what what that would mean for the fans listening well, today? So this is really because again, this is sort of one of the things that I often push back on when I hear this because it's such a glib thing for them to say. Oh, we're going to do, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Okay, what are you going to do? Because I think a lot of them have this idea when you go to an American sports stadium, everything is is covered in with an advert, or every break is is the is the is the taxi firm five minute timeout or whatever it is. You've got some adverts here around the, around the screen. That's good. So everything's branded <laughs> yeah. and they think, well, we're going to do that, right? We can flog everything. Now that apparently was very much what the Glazers thought when they went to United, they were like, well, there are, there are things, there are, there are walls with nothing on them. I'm going to put an advert there. You come to my stadium in Tampa, Bay, we've got 400 advertisers there. And a lot of the Brits sort of go, yeah, but look, do you not, Okay, I could maybe get fifty quid for something there, but we have like half a dozen partners, and they're better partners, and we they're long term relationships, and we get more money out of them. And so there's different schools of thought. There's this sort of like slap a logo on it school of thought. I'm not suggesting for one minute that these guys are that daft, but I, I do hear that that that's literally what they mean. European football franchises, sports franchise, professional sports franchises do not know how to sell themselves. Do not know. That they have this amazing shop window, this sandwich board, right? So that's the, that's 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 one part of it. The other part, which I think is more interesting, and it's probably more relevant. Well, let's say for Premier League, but certainly you guys, I think, in the Championship would would tick this box as well. If you're American, your favourite sports are sort of kind of baseball, American football, hockey, those sort of things. They're massive. They're the biggest things. If you want to sell anything in North America, which is why their TV deals are ludicrous, because everything else we're time shifting. We, we we don't sit down to watch TV anymore, apart from sport or government or elections. Those are things that we you cannot risk time shifting that, can you? Because then you'll be out, oh, no, I don't know the result. So you have to watch sport live. So advertisers like that. Now, they love the fact that football is global. It's one of the reasons why they've all kind of got into it. Big wealthy guys, the Glazers, the Family Sports Group, etc. That their sports are massive in North America. They're as big as they can be. But no one cares in China, India, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, and on and on and on and on. Africa, South America, no one cares. They care about our sport. They care about girly soccer. They want some of that. They're like, right. If I've got a product that is is global, am I going to put it on in basketball? Basketball is a bit different because basketball is global. But American football, ice hockey, does well in Canada, Russia. No, doesn't do. But people in Russia aren't going to watch or buy your product. But soccer's global. That's it. So it's a it's a common. When they say commercial, they really mean a couple, two things. You're not selling your assets well enough. I can sell more, put more adverts out and. I can do that better than you can because we just do that well in America. And you're underestimating um, how big soccer is and the platform that every good soccer team has. Okay. Wow. This is exciting stuff. I'm literally like a kid in a candy shop. But it's all theory. So they all say that. So can I remind you of some of the clubs that are owned by Americans? So Swansea. Very similar profile of guys went into Swansea and the, the you know and they got relegated and they're stuck in the stuck in the championship. Okay, they've they they they've learned a lot along the way. They've learned a lot along the way, but they've lost a lot of money along the way. Um, you know, Sunderland, Ellis Short, so 
very successful, very, very successful investor. Spent a fortune on Sunderland. Two relegations. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. Aston Villa, Randy Lerner, very, you know, a credit card you know, family, entrepreneur, owns Cleveland Browns. Lost his, yeah. lost his, lost his shirt. So there are so yeah. many cautionary tales. I don't want to end on mm. a down, downside. I don't. I know because you're very excited. I think these guys are clever. I think the fact that they've they've learned in the states in the USL, I think, is a really good thing for you guys because they 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 sort of understand the importance of their fan base. Because there's no TV money in USL, but you know there's some TV money in MLS. So anyone that's running a relatively successful usl team at least understands how to run a facility understands how to run a facility like a you know a stadium and understands how to do commercial deals in the area so so you know they have got a track record there should be should, matt should we get used we floated this to our mutual friend kate riley yesterday should we get used to portman road being called something else the dunkin donuts arena wherever it might be uh well <laughs> so there are two things to say about that. Yes, they would love to do that because it's a it's a it's a it's a revenue yeah. stream. An American, so they'd get someone in and go, okay, well, you're just leaving money on the table there. What's wrong with you? You know, of course you should do naming right deals. You should do a naming right deal for your training ground as well. This is this yeah. is what they all say that, and that increasingly that's happening elsewhere in in European football as well. There are there are problems though. So um, naming rights deals tend to be a bit disappointing for old builds for two reasons one is that everyone ignores the new name and carries on calling yeah. it portman road yeah yeah well that's the main reason really i mean the, the successful ones are the ones where there hasn't been a name yet so the, the most famous example of this is arsenal right so when so when they moved from highbury they were they worked really really hard not for a name to stick so people were calling like the geographic name i can't remember what london it was now uh, what was the name of the, the it was an incinerator there before can't remember now something gross yeah. uh what was yeah. it called? Oh, it doesn't matter but but in all uh, their communications they kept talking about it as the new stadium and it was a conscious decision that a name can be attached to the new stadium because we're going to sell it the minute we can in fact they need the money from 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 the Emirates up front, they took the Emirates on the naming rights and, and also on the shirt, yeah. and they front loaded that deal to, to fund to fund the stadium build, and very similar at the Etihad as well. So the name, the Eastlands, and and the Commonwealth Games and all that stuff didn't really stick, did it? So it's no, worked no. at those two. Would it work at Portman Road? Would you call it the, by the new name? And if you look at like all, would you know, little bitty club, well, yeah. So that, that's that's the problem with naming rights deals for for stadiums that have. Yeah. No one's ever going to call Anfield anything other than Anfield or Old Trafford, yeah. are they? Why they haven't no. done it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Matt, you've given us a great amount of time. If people have absolutely loved it. We uh, oh, it's Ashburton Grove. Johnny Duncan in the chat there. Yeah, there you go. Something, I knew it was something Grove. Yeah. It was something Grove. Well yeah, you, you, you do it. Well, we've got we've got to thank you so much for coming on and giving up your evening to come and chat to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, subscribe to the Athletic, everybody. It's a great, it's a great sports subscription service. I think there's a deal on at the moment. I think it's like a pound or something. So get on there, and you know, no, there's the lots of great like that, actually, Sorry, wait for the next deal. <laughs> they come round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots of great insight like Matt has given us here. Lots of great journalists on mm. the old school journalists. Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. Cheers, right, Matt. Guys. Thank you, mate. All the best. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Wow! 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 But you, you only get that? to know. 
<laughs> yeah, but you only get to those points by being a good team. Like people only want to have your training ground named after their company if you're any good. So you've got to get to that point first. I'm going to bring in Graham and Tux. Welcome in, guys. Um, the, the, the line's now open for those who want to join us and have their say. A lot to unpack there from a wonderful uh, chap and a wonderful interview. Tux, kick, kick us off. What, what are your first sort of thoughts there? Yeah, well, I think it's obviously uh, great that he's, he's had time to uh, come on. Obviously, that's great from, uh, from Matt to get him on. And um, yeah, really, really insightful uh, bit there, really from uh, from Matt. So um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see, obviously, his opinion. I mean, he, you know, he's obviously not a fan, but he's obviously a, a well-recognised uh, football journalist, uh, financial journalist as well. Um, and his opinion uh, from an outsider's point of view on the club itself, uh, not only what's happening currently in the last week or so, but also what's been happening in the last ten years as well, um, as well as other football clubs as well with with the uh, with the MLS and also the 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 new regime potentially as well. So yeah. Graham, you've seen this club at its best. Are you starting to think maybe we can get back there again? Is this is this giving you some hope, some something to hang your hat well, on? I think after listening to Matt just being on, that actually makes you believe that it could actually be happening. I mean it's a real roller coaster of emotions. I mean I I, I actually called it last year when, uh, or last season when um, Evans, for some reason, persevered and gave Lambert his five-year contract in the middle of like where we were up in the top one or two and then started losing game after game after game. And uh, I, I called then that if Evans and Lambert, as that deadly duo, remained for the next three years, we'd be in serious danger of going into the conference. That's how concerned I was because... I, I personally felt when the news came in about the salary cap in Division 1 and Division 2 coming in, I just had that gut feeling, did Evans really want promotion? Because at the end of the day, for, for us to go up, the cost of transfer fees, because you'd need to buy some players, because the squad we've got at the moment are far too inadequate, and also the salaries. So uh, I felt, you know, it, it was almost an excuse which has backfired anyway now because obviously the salary cap doesn't look like it's going to go ahead. But you were looking that Evans could hide behind that two, two and a half million salary cap each year. I mean, no one doubted in those first couple of years when he threw some money at it, his aim was to go into the Premier League, get get his foot in the door of the directors and because he's a marketing hospitality type company. But then, you know, he had his ample opportunity with McCarthy. We we all loved him to start with, but then hated him at the end. But that, that year when we ended up playing Norwich in the playoff semi-finals, we drew 1-1 quite deservedly down at Portland Road. We then went, went one know. down when Barra got sent off rightfully because he handballed right in front of me. You know, but even then, Tommy Smith, I think it was, equalised in the second half. And we lost 3-1, three, three, I think it was, in the end. But you were looking at a team that had just come down from the Premier League, Norwich, who'd got about £38-40 million pounds worth of fees. And we'd got, I think it was 130000 was it Sears and Mings, I think, were the, the only two that we'd paid any fees. But we, we were effectively in a playoff semi-final over four halves. We were one half inferior to Norwich, who had spent a lot more money. So the following year... You know, when we failed to do that, if Evans had just backed McCarthy that little bit, we were one, maybe two quality players short of walking that league because the following year, that was a woeful league. But I think at that point, Evans just started to stop 
sort of having that enthusiasm and putting the money in. And then it's almost felt like he's, I mean, I know most people sort of pretty much can't stand him now because it's been death by a thousand cuts over the last few mm. years. But I think he almost just decided to give up on it and do maybe do the decent thing and make sure we didn't go back into administration again. But, you know, that, that treading water of just about putting enough in for us to survive, you know, we're, we're, we're just basically because if we're treading water and all or several other teams are putting a bit more money in, you're just gradually going down those leagues. And I think if Evans and Lambert had remained, that would have been what happened. Absolutely. Let's bring in um, the fisherman. Fisherman, you said you're going to bring some calm to the chat. I think we do need to have a little bit of calm because didn't we all get all this excitement when Evans came in? I mean, I was in the drum and monkey. I was in the yeah. drum and monkey giving it all the large. I, I was probably in there with half, of, you know, half an all stand in there doing exactly the same, you know, waving 20s here and 10s and 50s or whatever. Look, I mean... You, you could say, say that, but I could say to you, you already know about 100 times more about these sets of people just from that one interview yeah. than you did yeah. about Marcus Evans before he arrived. Like All you knew was Marcus Evans had taken charge. You don't know why. You don't know what it was mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. what their aim was, what the end game was, what the start game was. Nothing. Marcus, Marcus I think what it was, I mean, we were all sort of suffering from the, um, the relegation, weren't we? We were still sort of... Uh, very much hung over from it and and uh, we'd failed obviously to get back with Joe Royal and but like I said the money wasn't there Marcus Evans came in we all would heard a lot about this guy as being quite you know the not not Evans but the group was a, like a billion pound group we all like got a little bit carried away I think there I'm I'm quietly happy don't get me wrong I am you know, but I'm also a little bit cautious. I was speaking to a good friend of mine this evening and, um, you know, he's got quite a few good contacts around. And, and I just feel that, you know, there is, I have been told there's a couple of stumbling blocks, but whether that's true or not is another thing, you know, but you know, we, we need this to happen. We need to get Evans out of the club. Um, no, there's no two ways about it. We won't get him out completely. He's going to hold on to some land. He's going to hold on to a stake, isn't he, on the hope that these new owners get in the Premiership. But like, obviously, like the uh, guy who's just been um, name's gone. I'm old Matt. and I forget things. Sorry, Matt. Matt. Yeah, um, said you know, with regards to you know other teams that have been bought by Americans, um, you know, they're, they're, it's not always guaranteed, is it? And there's you know they yeah, I'm I'm a bit. I'm, I guess what it is, it sounds a little bit too good to be true. And in my life, my own personal life, I've often found it is too good to be true. It often is. But we got rid of Lambert. Um, you know, are we, are we being taken down the yellow brick road only to find out there's about five different, you know, journeys we can go? I'm just, I, you know, it's Ipswich, it's isn't it? We just, I think we've just become used to us being a little bit, let down, I guess, for the last the thing 10, is, Tux, 13 years. The thing is, Tux, yeah, these guys, as, as as Matt said, you know, if they want to commercialise it, well, you need something to commercialise, and you don't commercialise a team in the third tier plan, all due respect, Aqua and Stanley tomorrow night. You need to be playing um, Bournemouth's next year championship. Then you need to be playing your, your Man City's on a Tuesday night. You know, you don't commercialise playing Aqua and Stanley. And equally, to get to that commercialised level, you need to have a decent side. So... That alone surely gives you a bit of excitement, a bit of buzz, a bit of oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's you know it's an exciting time, and 
you know, as Fisherman just said, it's it's a case of it needs to happen. Um, ultimately, Evans, in the whole time he's been here, as much as he's, you know, hopefully going to wipe our debt and stuff like that, it's not worked out. Um, and he's not a football man. I don't really think he's got too much of an interest in terms of football. I know he runs a football club, but really it doesn't seem like it. You, got, you know, you've got to remember at the end of the day, this is a guy that didn't reveal his face for, you know, three or four years at the very least. So it's... I just didn't understand it from the from the word go. When Evans came along, it was a case of if you're if you're owning a football club, why are you not proud to own a football club? And we were in the championship at the time. We were kind of going to that next level. If you invest a bit of money, we we could have been in the playoffs for a consistent period of time. But there was no there was no face there. Was there was nothing from the from the man behind the brand essentially to say where we were going. And the, and it's continued for throughout. And yes, he's done like a. You know, a a video here and there about, especially when the Mick McCarthy came just before Paul Hurst and you know put himself on camera and stuff like that. You know, what do you want? A round of applause? You know, you, you're the you're the chairman of this football club. You know, you should be the face of this football club, and that's uh, that's what I'm hoping. This, you know, whoever the investors are, they need to be the face of this club and have a plan. Uh, whether that marketing strategy takes us to the Premier League and you know, it, it, it advertise the club in, in the right in proper way um, but you know ultimately Evans needs to be out of this club um, and if he keeps his 5% he bails us out of trouble with the with the debt and he keeps some, some of the property in terms of the training ground have it but just does his does I his business it, acumen Graham does his bit really sort of mean this is almost a good thing because if he's keeping hold of 5% if he's keeping hold of land he sees a future in this. And he, uh, all we say about Marcus, his dusty wallet and, and his business acumen have never really been questioned. So the fact for me, he's holding on to 5%, excites me even more because he wants what they're giving, what they're selling, this vision. Mm. Is that to me or to Mark? Graham. Yeah. Okay. Well, well I, I think it's exciting that he still wants to maybe sort of keep keep involved to some degree, so yeah, he has he has got some optimism for the future. But I, I think probably the thing that excites me the most is that the timing now that we're potentially getting oh, it sounds pretty done deal that Cook's going to come in in the next few days. But we're we're in that position now. When you look, I think we play is it Accrington obviously tomorrow night, and then is it Lincoln in a couple of games time? They're they're the only two left in the top six and. We appear to finally, after two seasons, learn how to actually beat a top six side over the last two matches. But I think the, the most exciting thing is, um, basically, if you bring someone in, Lambert should have been doing way better with that. We had, what, 53, 54 for sort of professional players. You know, we hear all this garbage about injuries and excuses about injuries. You know, for, for God's sake, we're in Division 3. He, he should have been able to put two first teams out that should be in that top two without any question and any half decent manager should have a plan A, should have a plan B and should have been able to get him to perform way better and it's no mean coincidence when it looks like he was on his way you know that we suddenly turn in probably the two best performances or some of the best performances this year, Hull and Doncaster, the, the last two matches um, and, and I think someone that comes in that's a motivator that can actually recognise who, you know, half the problems probably we've got so many players, but I guess we need 
50 plus first team players just to cover for our sports science department. Because, you know, you look at Adam Webster, you look at David McGoldrick, Christ, they'd have been better doing bit parts on casualty, wouldn't they, when they were at Ipswich? <laughs> they, they, go, they go off somewhere else, you know, Bristol City, I think Adam went to originally, then Brighton, um, McGoldrick to Sheffield United, and they're playing bloody 40 matches a season. You know, we're lucky if we got them for like six half matches. You know, and, and then they're out injured again. So you've got to ask a question there. Absolutely. Dave, welcome in. What You've heard the interview. You've heard some fan thoughts so far. How are you feeling? What, what's your thoughts? Oh, before I go, great interview, guys. Brilliant interview. Um, my thoughts are, I'm st- <laughs> until I see Sky Sports News or until I see Talk Sports saying, I'm still worried. I want him gone. Evans, the guy hasn't got a clue what he's doing, but because he's still in charge, he can literally pull it all out and just can the whole thing going forward. And then we're stuck with him. Uh, my philosophy is what manager would Wycombe manage for Evans? Simple as he hasn't got a clue what he's doing. So what managers would Wycombe here? So I'm praying that if it's Paul Cook, that he's already talking to the old Americans and they've already gave him his contract, told him what he's going to earn and what they're going to do. But if that isn't happening, uh, I don't know what to think, really. So I'm still worried. I'm hoping, but still am worried that if he's still here, I don't know what to think. We're stuck here for eternity, basically. The so, only thing... Think... Go on, go on. No, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think I think, I think, think it will happen. Um, but I think, we, like, like you say, Dave, we've got to... Yeah, exactly. We've got to, we've got to have some fingers crossed. Um, Evans is not stupid. You know, like I said, I was talking to my mate, and, he, and we were saying the same thing. No, I'm, I'm talking about regards to 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 what he's doing with this sale. If he wants to hold on to five percent and stuff like that, he obviously sees something. You know, I mean, he came like I said, Evans came in, he gave Roy Keane some money, but he really didn't. What I call, if you were serious about getting to the getting to the Premiership back then, we always had a sort of nucleus of a squad, and we just really needed that that you know the lower end Premiership quality to get us up to get us up and get us promoted. But we never really got that, did we? So with now Marcus Evans, it was always like, oh, that'll do, that'll do. It was never never really any effort to get us promoted. He was just, he wanted to do it on the cheap. And, and but I am, there's no I am plan there. confident. There's no plan there, is there? That's the thing, no, there's no plan there. That's, that's, that's what I've got, that's what I'm going back to. And it's the fact that if there's no plan there, you can't, achieve success and you know the, the plan you know he, he talks about his five point plan here and there but really what's that you know it's just to keep the fans happy sell season tickets there you go bish bash bosh you know there's nothing there's nothing there for me that says there's a plan there and that's why it's 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 paramount that that something has to happen he has to sell this club do, do yeah. you think sorry do you think we'll get a proper director of football in this time rather than leo o'neill you know because I would imagine he's on a fairly good salary to like open the door on the helicopter for Marcus because I can't see what else he does around the club that's much use at yeah, all. For, for me, Leo Neal, right, where's he come from? He's a school teacher, weren't he? So he's a glorified bloody PE teacher. So when he gets sacked from, when the new owners come in and they sack him, he'll go back to his half-term holidays. You know, it's as simple as that, really. So <laughs> but, what is what, what what does he do? It's like what Graham just said. What does he do? You know, he's a mouthpiece. The person before him, Ian Milne, he was a mouthpiece. Simon Clegg, to a certain extent, was a mouthpiece as well. So, 
you have to have a director of football. That's where football's going at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, whether you bring in someone like a, a John Walk or, you know, a club legend that actually wants to be the ambassador of this club or someone that's got a little, little bit of ounce about them that, that can to do the business off the, off the, off the pitch. Um, well, I, and, I you know, that. you do need the support. I heard they asked um, Leo Neil what they put in a Portman pie, and he thought they put a Portman in it. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate you. I'm going to bring in TJ. TJ, um, I get a lot of sort of uh, you know, mixed messages in terms of, yeah, I'll wait and see what happens, and then we'll wait and see what the plan is. Like, for me, we're either slowly fading to non-league football and death, or you jump and you hope the Americans have got the plan that takes over, or, or, or you go quicker. Like, we're dying anyway at the moment. We're dying on our ass. let's be honest. I'm 28 in a few weeks, so I've spent half my life with Evans at the helm of this club. Oh, so that's good, isn't it? Um, no, it's not. You I just can't, yeah, I was working that out, so I just realised how much dross I've had to put up with. But yeah, I think the, the thing I'm most excited about is the first press conference we get from whoever owns us, because that will set the tone of something we've not had in half of my life, basically. I think Marcus Evans' five-point plan is his 5% stake in the club plan more than anything. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just looking forward to seeing that first press conference, seeing some positivity. Maybe the turnstiles will get painted quicker and we'll all be better for it. The thing is, so somebody said in the chat, um, TJ, that, that this is like hands-free investment for Marcus Evans. You know, he can, he's got an investment port, uh, consortium that he can just leave 5% with and, and see what they can work, work into magic. You know, it, it's almost... Great. And it's not his fault. If it all goes Pete Tong, fans will start calling for somebody else's head. As as sort of Matt was saying earlier, he could turn to turn up to games when he wants. He's not the major partner. It's it's really a stress-free life for Marcus Evans, isn't it? Well, it has been for 14 years, isn't it? I mean, we've not seen him for most of it. We've only had the pressure turn up in the past couple of years or so. So I think we'll we'd probably walk past him in the street and forget him. I mean, I hope he does all right with his 5% because it means the rest of us are doing all right with it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Good luck to him. Yeah, if, absolutely. If Cook comes in before the new owners come in, who gives him the contract? Like, are the Americans telling Evans, like, offer him this or are the Americans already sort of speaking with Cook? That's what confuses me. That's why I thought Lambert would, like you said in the interview, Lambert would be here until you know, the deal was done. But the fact that Lambert's gone now, how does that work with Cook? Does he, like I said, does the did Americans interview him and say, right, this is what we're offering you? Or Evans got to sit there and say, yeah, oh, I'll offer you this. This is what they're telling me to offer you. And that's what's a bit confusing think, and worrying my end on that. And then when Leo Neal stayed here, Leo Neal did the contract. Lambert stayed here until. Um, yeah, Lambert would have stayed here until um, at least until it's mathematically possible we can get playoffs for me. But what the what the uh, kicking point for me was obviously was the Talksport interview where he come out and criticised Evans publicly. Um, and I'm, I, I remember sitting there thinking, if I was Evans, I would not be tolerating this whatsoever. So I think he then so went think, away and probably thought. So you think Evan, sorry, Evans sacked him? So you think Evans sacked him, even though. Even if this deal wasn't coming in, he would have sacked him anyway because of what happened yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, I think so. I think it's based on that. I don't think he was going to sack him until probably April. I think he would have rided it out a little bit. Um, but, I mean, Lambert sort of, he, I think he just wanted to go in the end. I don't think he was ever going to walk because, you know, he had he had that big payout coming. So he's never going to walk. Um, 
but he, he, you know, he went on national radio. Like, if you're if you're bothered about this club and you want to stay at the club, you don't do things like that. Nah. Do you know what I mean? No. You just don't do no. things like that. And the thing is, though, Tux, you know, Dave makes a great point there about, you know, who's making the decision. Is, is that another reason why we're reading in the press, taking our time? Because those things are now being spoken about via Zoom conversations of, right, we've got a manager, you're going to be taking charge if it all goes through. Uh, how are we going to work this then? Because if this, if this is who you want, that's fine. I can go and get sorted out. But who's who's paying for it, as Dave said? So what, yeah, <laughs> think... what, what if... If if the Americans wanted Cook and Evans didn't, and then a the deal goes through, but then Evans is bought in Cook and then goes, ah, great, I'm now stuck with a manager I didn't want. <laughs> well, I think that'll there? be part of the negotiations, though. I, you know, they're, neg- they're they're talking at the moment, and that'll be part of the negotiations. Is you know we're going to get Paul Cook in, probably ask him what do you think of that. They probably confirmed it. It's all okay, and he'll he'll be there obviously when um when the new new owners come in. So I think it's it's probably part of the deal. You know. It'd be a bit embarrassing if that you know Evans goes and appoints a manager now, and then you know they come in and for whatever Paul Cook doesn't get off to the best of starts, and then they sack him within like a month or two months. So <laughs> yeah. it's got it's got you know they want to come in and they want to hit the ground running, don't they? They don't want to piss about. So and I the think thing is they're talking about it. And the thing is, no manager worth his salt who's not in the last chance saloon ain't going to come with this over their heads because if you sign a deal. And new owners take charge. You're then walking around for a month, six months, a year, yeah. with every question being, "You're not the own, you, you, you're not this owner's man. You're not the new owner's chosen one. It's only a matter of time." And but it's a good, great question, Dave. Dave, appreciate. It. I'm bringing Jimmy Bullard. Jimmy, we've not seen players like you for a while, but will we see him again? I hope so. I just want to go back to that point about uh, Paul Cook. Now, I read on TWT that it came from Phil Hound that they've already spoke the Paul Cook and the Americans. Now, when that was, I don't know, but he says that they have already spoke and they're fine with Paul Cook coming, as far as I'm aware. They'd leave it Magus to do all the business. That's what he says, you know. But he also said that, you know, the deal, all the forms are with the EFL in precedent, waiting for ratification and all, all, the, all, all the processes. So this is further a hell of a lot further along than what we actually think. But I'm not quite worried about it not going through because... I'm more interested to know that there was more than one offer. So what the hell was Leo Neal talking about? You know. Well, but as Matt Slater said, Tux or Graham, he doesn't know. Like what? And I, I said on I said on Twitter earlier, it, my gardener might know I'm I'm showing people around my house, but he won't know I've got any offers. Like Leo Neal might know the club's up for sale, or people are, are viewing it, but he ain't gonna know. No one's put you know seventeen million quid on a table. Even, even if he did, right? The, the running theme with this club is that they don't contact, they don't contact the fans. They don't let them know, the fans know what's going on. And it's been a running theme since Evans has been at the helm of this club. He doesn't let the fans know because he can't contact people because he doesn't want to show his face. He doesn't want to be responsible for things. Um, and Leo Neal is, is the spokesperson. And it's a running theme of this club. It's a complete joke that there's there's no idea there's no identity to it. That's, the whole, That's that, the whole problem. That's always been like that. Mm, big time. There's two things I picked up is, and one of them was uh, the fact that they're going to put a structure in place, you know, above the manager, which is what we've been crying out for ever since Marcus Evans has arrived. And, you know, there's some good people in there. You know, the guy who was with Galatasaray, the guy who was with West, West Brom, you know, they know football at a high level. So they'll know the sorts of people they need. And that's what we need. Plus the fact, them focusing on youth, yeah, to us, 
at our academy. That's key. Maybe they'll push us further for category one than what Marcus Evans would push us for category one. And we can stop losing all these really good young players before we even get a chance. You know, maybe they'll build dorm rooms for the players instead of having shacked up in people's houses. You know, maybe they'll look at all this and say, that's what we need to do. That's what we do over there. I saw an interview with this Brett Johnson, you know, near the stadium. If they have to, if players come from a far away, they build them a house so they can live in. You know, this is not a, this is not a fly by night organization. This guy knows what he's talking about, and that's what that's what excites me most. But I think I'll, it I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why I'm more confident about this regime, even though it's not confirmed or anything else. Why I'm more confident about it than I ever have been with Marcus Evans, even from the initial point where he was going to take over, is because. The Americans, they already own a sport that they they own a sporting franchise. Yeah. You know, Phoenix Rising, they've got them successful and stuff like that. The difference with Marcus Evans is he's not doing anything sport related. He's a businessman, great businessman, but when it comes to sporting, uh, where it's, it comes to sporting teams, Phoenix Rising, you know, this, this American consortium or whoever they are, they have experience in there. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. confident that they can at least know about the club or at least know about uh, the sport and what is behind it and how to run a successful team. Um, so that's why, for me, it, I'm more, much more confident about this American regime than I ever have been, from the, even from the initial uh, purpose of what Marcus Evans came in. I think the communication is going to be greatly improved as well, because I know we can slag off Leo Neal for not knowing what he's doing, but it's kind of not his fault. And I think put any of us in his position today in front of the media we'd all be told what to say. It's yeah, our job. We yeah. can't do much about it. So Thrown to the wolves, he was. Yeah, yeah he was, exactly. Yeah. So, as long as we have that central spokesperson going forward, I think we'll have a better connection with what's going on. And at the end of the day, yeah. can I just say, even if we have this, uh, you know, the structure they bring in with the youth or, uh, and, you know, the hierarchy of the manager, even if they leave, that will be a long-term benefit for us anyway because the next person mm-hmm. will come in and take over that and it'll still be there. So this is not something that, if that's sort of thing that they're going to do, that's not something we'll lose. That'll be a long-term gain for us. And that's that we should embrace completely. Yeah. Uh, my only issue with there, Neil, was that you can say a word such as no comment or that's not my pay grade. That's Marcus's department. I'm just a, I'm just a, the, the chief operator. You know, you're not the owner. Like you can deflect the question. You don't even got to say what he said. And, and Matt almost said the same at the start of the, of the interview, I felt, where he was almost like, well, you didn't have to say what what you I, said i guess does he want to come across frosty like lambert has done the past few yeah, weeks or yeah. try and at least engage? he ain't gonna be here either way is he he ain't gonna be here he ain't gonna be he ain't gonna be nowhere near portman road he's, he's, America. He's, 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 he's got to think about himself though he's got to think about his own career isn't he he's got to think about what yeah, he does he next hilarious, if he comes out if, with a no if, comment or he doesn't answer the question people are going well what are you being paid for so yeah. he's got to make it we right. do that anyway no. The thing is, he was absolutely, he was absolutely yeah. hilarious because he was going from one foot to the other and back again and his eyes were like blinking and blinking and it was hardly a sunny day that the sun was getting in his eyes, was it? So totally <laughs> good He looked even more dishonest than Boris, didn't he? He got a 6.30 o'clock uh, phone call from Marcus saying, press, press the schedule for 9.30, get yourself up to training ground, Lee. And he was like, oh, shit, what, what's happened? Right, Stephen, appreciate your pull. Welcome in, my man. How are you feeling this evening? Yeah, good. I'm sorry, excuse me. Amazing, yeah, amazing interviews. A couple of really sort of interesting points on here. 
um, is that with a negotiation that's going that's not obviously quite clearly going on at the moment, there is a bit of gamesmanship and stuff that you can and can't say. That's no comment. Yeah, but the, if you say no comment, and he and literally that you watch the club interview, right? And Leo Neal is probably briefed by the press officers there exactly what he has and yeah. what he can and can't say. And they ask those direct questions, he gave those answers. So he's basically giving answers that the, the press office have actually um, given them and or uh, have told him to say. And that is that, uh, and that is that is his job. Um, so, you know, and Leo Neal's been brought in. He's, you know, I've heard that he's very good at uh, his other jobs, but he's got millions of jobs within the club. And I think he's just been brought in completely. He's been pushed into a position completely out, out of his, you know, out, out of his depth. And um, yeah, it's just interesting as well with the the. Uh, it was me who made the hands free comment. So I'm just going to put I'm just going to put myself in Marcus Evans's shoes here. So I've got a multi million pound or it turns over hundreds of millions of pounds um, events and hospitalities uh, company that is um, that I haven't that, that I've had to shut down over the last twelve months. I've got thousands of employees who. You know, I'm paying their mortgages, etc. On that, and I've got to get that that business actually going again. Um, you know, after the pan, after they're allowed to, after actually allowed to run run events, because I have a responsibility to my employees, and I've got a, a was Ipswich turnover about twenty million pounds a year. A small business, it's draining my time. People don't like, you know, people don't like it. A pitch that the Americans would have put to him is that very hands free thing. Is look what we're doing elsewhere. Keep some money in the game, um, and we'll take it over. Like as Martin said, no blame uh, if it goes. You know, no blame if it, if it goes wrong. No, you know, no hassle, and and also as well that he probably, you know, if it goes well, he's probably going to join that group and then put more money in for less hassle for, for more revenue. So that's I don't know that, that that's what I the way that I would see things if I was Mark. You know, if if I was Marcus Evans, it's win win for him. Yeah, Graham, it's, it's something that fans have often said when season ticket renewals or refunds have come up. We don't know how the COVID-19 um, pandemic has affected his business. Well, maybe that's another reason why he's now actively looking at these people, because as Paul says there, he's got other businesses that need to be brought back up to life eventually. And, and one less issue called Ipswich Town Football Club is one less headache. So whose who's responsibility is going to be? Because obviously there's a lot of people potentially owed money uh, for like seeing little or no football this year with the season tickets. Will that be Evan's responsibility or will it be the, the new guy's responsibility? I mean, that, well, that would a- be the new guys that I thought, which is again, another reason why maybe we're seeing a delay, you know, a hold on maybe. I don't know. What do you I think? Mean, I, I was quite fortunate because I've had a season ticket for, I think it was 42 years up until the start of last season when I um, stopped it because of the um, coronavirus and everything. So I'll start this season, sorry. So um, my, my view was that I'd have a vac- have my vaccination and then I would get another season ticket without any hesitation. But after the, um, the fiasco before the Plymouth away game, we had Marcus Evans doing his ventriloquist act of talking out his mouth and it's coming out of his rear end, swiftly followed up by the ITSC, pretty much just sort of doing like almost appeared at the time an approved sort of statement by the club. And, you know, we were all asking, are they representing us or the club? I I took the decision that after the Plymouth game, which I'd already paid for, 
I wasn't putting another penny into the club until, at the very least, Lambert had gone. I mean, happy days now. It looks like it'll be both Evans and Lambert. So the first thing I did was this, uh, today, about a couple of hours ago, was buy the I follow pass for tomorrow because I'd watched the 17 out of the first 19 games, but I wasn't going to put any more money into the club whilst Evans was running it the way he was, just showing the disdain for the supporters that, that there was. But I'm bloody happy Lambert's gone now because I've been really missing it, but I've stuck to my guns. But that's now going to be a tenner a game now and then a, a new season ticket next year. So it looks like Paul Paul Cook. Um, Kempi's saying it's been confirmed. He's been the rumoured investor's choice from the get-go. There's been, not been another name uh, reported. Obviously, Matt was the one that broke the news. Uh, Tux, kick us off. How do you... You you're happy with, with Cook or would you prefer actually, you know, new investors, new plan, new money? Somebody maybe would have been better. Um, I, I still think that uh, Paul Cook is probably the investors uh, man as well. Um, I think they have been talking about it. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think Paul Cook's uh, a good appointment. Um, and yeah, someone said earlier that, you know, he'd, he'd bring some, um, you know, some joy to the club, I think, you know, from his personality. Paul Lambert towards the end was very, you know, uh, deluded, but also very disgruntled in the way he was sort of managing mm-hmm. the club as well. Lots of fallouts of the players and things like that. And I feel, you know, uh, as Matt said on in, in the interview, that obviously, uh, you know, he's got a very good track record as Paul Cook. Um, you know, he's been about, um, and, you know, especially with Wigan as well, when they was going through uh, quite a tough time. Um, I, I, I seem to remember reading that um, when, the, when they had to make redundancies, he... He rung round everyone and made sure they was okay. So you know, it's things like that 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 aren't always seen, which uh, which are good for a manager of a, of a football club, not just yeah the actual scene T- itself. Um, TJ, yeah. oh sorry, 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 Mark, sorry. Um, TJ, Bristol City wanted Wednesday wanted Cardiff wanted we get him possibly hashtag big club mentality. Do you agree with that? Sorry, Mark. Um, I think it says more about the man than it does the club. So I think he's he wants the project and he's clearly excited by something that we're about to get wind of. So I think there is a good project coming and I think it's good to see him wait for something that's a long-term thing rather than these basket cases of clubs. So, mm. yeah, I'm positive about it. I think he's the right man. Absolutely. Graham, we're going to win tomorrow? I, I actually fancy our chances now. Um I, I fancy we'll get a storming 1-0 win tomorrow. Okay. I Do you like think we'll have, will Jackson and Nolan be back in the, the fray now? Well, I, I read something on TWTD that said Jackson and Nolan trained today with the first team but may not be included as it may come too early. Well, they've not been marooned on a... On a, on a different, you know, on an island somewhere, they've been training with under twenty threes. Like yeah. one breath we're saying how great Dyer is, next minute we're saying, oh, but they might, might be red. Hang on, what do you find out? You'd think Jack, even Jackson on the bench tomorrow, he's playing against his old club, isn't he? They still think really highly of him up there, you know, just to get him on for the last half an hour with his speed and everything, just to cha- change the game a little bit, but. I, I think I think ultimately whoever whoever's in charge, you know, whether it's Gill, Dyer, Klug, uh, Cook, whoever, um, you know, the, the remaining games until the end of the season, we just need a bit of consistency. Um, and you know, yeah. we've won two games on the bounce now. Why why change the team? You don't need yeah. to. Uh, yes, okay, Lambert picked it, but you know, just keep consistency, keep those players playing. Uh, obviously, you have to make some changes here and there with you know Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. But you know, other than that. 
you know, just keep a winning side. You know, players play for the shirt and, you know, you, you keep that shirt based on whether you've won the game and you've put in a good uh, good performance. And then if you're not, then that's when the likes of Jackson and Nolan then come in. But it can't be yeah. more than three or four weeks since Lambert said, we're useless with two players up front. Then like the last two games, we've played yeah. two players up front and all of a sudden we're creating chances, you know. Well, something we've heard is that Gill's been picking the team and Gill's oh, been doing yeah. more. Well, here we go. We'll find out, won't we? Because if things suddenly change, maybe he wasn't. But if things are consistent, like Tuck says, then that might lend some weight. Paul, to finish us off, you can choose any question there. I pose it to any of the panel. Uh, you've got Paul Cook, your man, or you've got a win tomorrow, or um, whatever yeah. you want to choose. Oh, yeah. I, I, had two, I had two main questions. One was more really that I, one of my friends knows Matt Gill really well. Love Matt Gill. Um, so, yeah, just, 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 just yeah, I suppose just on, I suppose these are two more sort of statements, you know, just backing up what some of the comments of the guys have said. Is, but, but Matt Gill. Um, one of my friends knows him really, really well, and he's a, and, and I've, I've never met him, but he's, I've been told that he's a really lovely guy, and he doesn't have any axe to grind. So I don't think that he's going to be taking any of the what's gone on before um, from Paul Lambert into 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 what he's doing. And going back to what Matt said earlier on as well, is that um, that Paul Cook is seen as being a very, very good manager. And what I, I saw a, a story, which I don't know whether you guys did, I can't remember whether it was on Twitter or the Ipswich Facebook forum, was that like it was he messaged his friend who was a Wigan supporter. I don't know the guy, by the way. Messaged his, his mate who was a Wigan supporter. Um, and he turned up at the Wigan grounds. And Paul Cook said it was absolutely lovely. And he went, was invited into his office to watch videos of the match in there with Joe Royal. And he said he was very much he'd like a Joe Royal 2.0, and I love that because I was a huge, I was a, I was was a massive huge Joe Royal fan. If you're gonna be half as good as that, I will yeah. be absolutely delighted. Other than sort of questions, really. Absolutely, Dawn's gone for a town win. Stephen's gone for a cookie. Might be keeping Gill. I love Matt Gill. I think he's a fantastic coach, um, a real up and comer in the game. And I think in you know a couple of years' time, I want to I want to be a club that kept hold of him as opposed to a club that says. Oh, it's Matt Gill. Oh, I remember. Him. Oh, yeah, he was under Lambert. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? You know, because we've, we've had a few of those and, you know, there we go. Uh, Mr. Richard's Town. Matt Gill looks, looks much older version of Cole Skews. Turb- Turbotic is going for a statement 3-0 town win. Jacob Brown looks like takeover is over, which... Huh? Has he been watching anything we've done for the last hour and a half? <laughs> like, if you're going to troll... Do on a different show where he just not been told. Anyway, Jacob, I appreciate the effort. Anyway, if you're new here, hit subscribe. Um, are the 49 points still on, Gov? They absolutely are, sir. They absolutely are. Uh, Trump can make issues great again. That joke's going to be done to death. Matt Wingard's gone 2-1 down. Town Winston, Stephen Perry. But thank you all for watching, Tux. I appreciate you, Graham. I appreciate you wherever you may be. TJ, Paul, uh, everybody else who's joined us this evening. And, of course, Matt, who was on earlier with Matt. Um outstanding interview one of the best i've i've seen in a long long time thank you ever so much um but yes with love with care see you all tomorrow for the match day ticket 6 30 um town win incoming hit subscribe (laughs) 